Hello FBL managers, welcome to the 50th episode of the FBL Optimized podcast. This is the podcast in which we combine analytics with the good old eye test. I am Sertab, your host today, and my co-host Buzz is still out. Data or grass or data and grass, that's the question. Thanks for tuning in again. Last week we had Johnny Curry as a guest who had a great season. Today I will be joined by Formedillo who had a completely opposite experience last season. Let me provide some context when I say the opposite experience. Formedillo finished last season around 290k uh, if I remember correctly despite having an XG rank of 49. For people who are not familiar with the XG rank, it is calculated based on underlying stats. Uh, for example, like expected goals, expected assists, expected clean sheets. And he was among the top 50 managers among all FPL managers last season. So, so it is very remarkable despite, despite the noise such metrics can include. But his actual rank doesn't reflect his decision making at all. And he's also well known with his great tweets, which we will discuss in a bit. As far as I know, Formedillo was trying analytics for the first time last season, so I wanted to emphasize that despite uh, despite we have some good examples like Johnny Curry, uh, it is not a certain outcome. So sometimes you use the same methodology and you can finish with a great rank. Sometimes you can finish, you know, around like 290k. By having Formedillo, I hope we can shed some light uh, to decision making process. Even under stressful times, personally, I had an unlucky season, as you might know, uh, but by no means is close to Formedillo's epic season, I should say. Before we dive into Formedillo's decision-making and extreme negative variance, let's welcome Formedillo to the show. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks, Sartop. Very happy to be here. So, welcome again. And uh, let me start with a warm-up question. How did you end up using analytics for FPL in the first place? Can you tell us about your FPL history and, you know, things that convince you to use analytics at the end? Sure. Um, so I guess I'll preface this, you know, with the note that I'm definitely still an intermediate, I would say, at best, from an analytics point of view. And I don't necessarily intend to go beyond you know, being an intermediate, I think uh, using the tools and developing your own tools to take this to the next level is pretty time intensive, mm -hmm. requires a lot of skills that frankly, I'm probably not going to do, but I, I, it's been fun to sort of reach this intermediate point, which I think is a happy medium. Um, in terms of how I got here, so I started playing uh, a few years ago, I think this will be my eighth season, roughly. Mm -hmm. um, I started very casually, um, you know, just a mini league with some with some folks in college. I, I went over to England for, for college, so got looped into the Premier League, got looped into FPL. Um, first couple seasons, very casual. Um, I think I did pretty well, but everyone involved was, was, you know, what you'd call a casual now. So finishing 100K, 150K was, was pretty strong in that league. Um, I never really used the eye test that much because I just didn't watch that many games. Um, mm -hmm. I watch Everton now and again, but that's about it. Um, so from the beginning, I was using uh, like proxy metrics, but not analytically rigorous ones. Mm -hmm. So at the start, it was just like find some good fixture tickers, um, 
look up, you know, straight up goals plus assist numbers, which is just funny to think about now. <laughs> and then um, after a couple seasons of that, I would say the next few seasons I started using some like very rudimentary uh, analytics tools. So I remember going on understat a lot and looking mm-hmm. up just like raw um, XGI, uh, NPXG, et cetera. But I didn't know about sample sizes. So I'd literally look him up and I'd be like, wow, this guy's been running really hot for like three or four games. He must be a great pick, right? Yeah. Um, so I was using those. And then uh, I think the last couple seasons, I started getting into it. So last season, uh, I think I, I was intermediate level. I used review uh, pretty much every week um, mm-hmm. and tried to be very patient with decisions. The season before that, I used review a bit. Um, but not super consistently. And I think I had a pretty mediocre MD rank, like 5,000 or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, pretty much two seasons now of analytics, one pretty casual, the last one more intense. Um, and I'm probably going to stay around this level, I think, moving forward. Okay, awesome. So, um, so let's start with the last season, uh, because, I mean, obviously that's, the, that's, uh, that's our focus in today's episode. So what was the what was your process in terms of using analytics for FPL? I mean, I understand that you have been using the you know prediction data and you have been using FPL reviews projections for it, but was that all or were you also checking some other resources at the same time? And um, also, I would like to ask, suppose you are using the predictive data, but if there are any players that you disagree with, were you using your own judgment to overwrite them? Or were you mostly following the prediction data? Um, so taking the questions one by one. So firstly, my overall approach. So my approach was basically I had set out specific targets before last season started. So I wanted to get a top 1,000 MD rank. Um, mm-hmm. That was my main goal. And then I think I tweeted this out um, before the season began. I wanted to uh, have sufficiently positive variance to finish 50K. I think was my goal. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I achieved one of those things and not the other. Um, so yeah, that was the philosophy in terms of um, my data sources, pretty much just review. I mean, I, I still looked at some raw stuff before the season began on like new players. Like I checked out Holland's like mm-hmm. long-term, uh, you know, uh, NPXG per 90 on FB ref, um, that kind of thing. Darwin as well. But Really, in terms of like a, a week-to-week basis, I was I was mostly just looking at review, and then occasionally sense checking like, oh, Almiron's been on a run. Like, what's his what's his NPXG looking like? Just to kind of sense check a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, mostly just review. To be honest, I think there are other good sources too. I know there's other like um, Talkvem has some good ones. You can use the the odds data itself. Um, I, I followed We Rogues uh, team strength. And Simon's mm-hmm. great stuff too, but I don't think it necessarily directly fed into decisions. It was more a sense check. Um, so pretty much just review. And then in terms of how strictly I followed review, it wasn't that strict, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was my guidepost, but I deviated uh, very frequently. I would say any given week, um, there's a pretty decent chance that I did not do the supposed like optimal move mm-hmm. on one of the parameters I set. But it, but it would usually be, you know, a top three or top five, or at least top three or top five after I tweaked X-Men's or whatever to my <laughs> preference. So, um, 
I would say, yeah, pretty, you know, I followed it consistently, but not super strictly is the way I put it. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And so when you pick a player, let's say in the top five, you know, suggestions, but it turns out that it was a, you know, in, in terms of like the outcome, uh, if it turns out that the, like the top pick were able to get lots of points, but not your pick, how did that affect you? Like, did you regret like choosing the, you know, fifth best player instead of the best one? I mean, obviously there are lots of noise in FPL and things can go either way, but how, how did you manage that? I actually think, so the, the negative variance I experienced actually wasn't super clustered around the very tight decisions, mm -hmm. I think. Um, the exception would be Holland versus Salah cap in the first half of the season. Yeah. I think there were a few of those that were very close, and I went Salah, and uh, obviously I regretted it, right? Um, the... I don't know like what the exact right lesson to take away from that was. Um, and honestly, I don't know if we know the right lesson until we see how Holland does this season too. Yeah, right? that's true. Like, even at the time, like as the first half of the season's unfolding, I think myself and a lot of other people, I think you were also in this boat, right? Yeah. Where you're going <laughs> against Holland, mostly for minutes, I think was our yeah. logic. And then he puts up like the most minutes he ever has in a stretch, mm, right? True. You look back and it's like, if he puts up a season like last season in terms of minutes mm -hmm. this season, then I think we can look back and say, you know, we might want to update a bit on like how cautious to be around minutes on a player who's entering a new league, a new setting, et cetera. Um, if this season his minutes drop down a lot, then, I mean, it will it's be cliche, just but <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like, did I really mess up? <laughs> Start <laughing. laughs> so yeah, that was the main one where it was like tight. Um, a lot of other times when things blew up, it's either because, um, I did something that I knew was like nowhere near optimal quote unquote, in which yeah. I had no to blame. Like I went, um, Darwin over Jesus on game week two wildcard, uh, last mm -hmm. season. And I think you had to tweak Darwin's minutes like so much to justify that. So when I was doing that, I, I, I couldn't hide behind review, right? It's like, I'm making a call on trying to be ahead of the curve. It blew up, you know? that's not a close call right um same thing vice versa you know a lot of players would go on runs where it was like i just don't care about this like almiron's going on a run i don't care he's not close to the top of the you know solver at any point i don't believe in underlying data so i just don't care and i'll let him keep scoring it just doesn't matter so it was a mix but yeah i don't think i got burned a ton on like the very small um decisions when it's like 0.1 or 0.2 EV like in the next week. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And um, I have seen this tweet from you around February. You said, I chose the worst possible season to go full analytics. I have been super patient, trusted the EV, kept a deep squad, haven't taken a hit yet, and I am over 2 million. No choice but to simply do the same exact thing next year out of pure <laughs> stubbornness and hope for the best. Uh, so I will ask two questions on this tweet. So how did you feel when you were at 2 million overall rank? Despite all the support metrics were showing that, you know, your decision making was okay. Like, did you feel that uh, like you may, you, you are making a mistake or how, how was it? Um, I didn't feel that I was making a mistake or, I mean, I, I had some doubts, but they weren't strong enough to make me change my style. 
So I kept the same style till the end of the season, and I'm going to do the same thing this season. So um, I think I had like minor doubts, but not enough to like change my behavior. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the psychology of it's kind of difficult to manage. So like pretty much from game week two, um, which kicked off all this nonsense. Um, if people don't remember, basically, Jesus got like 21 points, I think. Mm-hmm. Everyone owned him. Darwin got a red card. Um, so yeah, that's since that swing, every really bad week, I would disengage pretty quickly, right? Like I'd stay engaged in the beginning of the week. And then as soon as my chart on uh, <laughs> your website uh, went went down like minus 20 versus expectation, <laughs> I just logged off. I was like, I log off Twitter. I posted the chart, logged off Twitter, and then I check in in like six days or whatever when yeah. it was hundred at my next team. Um, so I think that was like healthy um, and helpful in managing the season. So yeah, when I was two mil, I was like, you know, I'm going to make my moves for next week. Keep it super simple, super patient. If it starts blowing up, I'm just going to immediately disengage again. And I'm just going to keep doing that. And, uh, it worked out okay relatively in the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if I've taken away much lesson. I think I'm still in, in the stubborn boat for now. Okay, so then I assume that you will be using almost the same approach this season too? Yeah, so one caveat is, and we haven't talked about it yet, but um, I bench boosted week one last season. Yeah, I was going to ask it. Which, yeah. yeah, yeah, which indirectly led to the game week two wild card, which was planned, but that in turn led to a whole waterfall of, of bad outcomes. So... Before I got on the bench boost one train last season, um, my approach heading in was to start off super conservatively. Yeah. So like still, you know, respect EV, respect squad depth, respect minutes, have a good structure, be flexible. But if there are 50-50s where, um, you know, it's quite close on the EV, but one guy is like, you know, 80 to 100% EO amongst like engaged people that I care about and the other is like 5%, I was just going to go with the 80% guy. And the reason for that was because I've consistently started slow every Mm -hmm. FPL season I've played. And I think historically before I got more into analytics, I had a very strong contrarian streak, which you see on a lot of people still like on Twitter. And I hated the template. I hated being boxed in. I love taking punts. I love taking hits. And I basically realized, I don't know why this is, maybe it's just chance, but when I start taking risks in the last third of the season, it works. And when I take risks at the beginning, it blows up, like pretty reliably. So going into last season, I was like, okay, I'm just going to solve this problem for myself. I'm going to play it super straight and chalk opening half. And then in the second half, hopefully I have a decent rank and I can actually push on properly. So that was my intelligent And then obviously bench boost one, Cost, caught my eye and we can go into like why <laughs> i live on the fight going into this season i am absolutely not going to bench boost one under okay. any circumstances. that's good my objective is going to be to hold the wild card right and so i'll set up my game week one team with a fairly long-term view which i actually think is a little different from how people are talking about it right now and i think we should talk about that at some point too but anyways i'm going to do what i tend to do last season start off like very chalk etc if I really believe in a guy and believe there's EV to be had that's differential, I will do it. But when it's very close, I'm just going to go chalk. Like, I don't want to start slow again. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, 
yeah, I was going to ask you about the bench boost one and if you were considering to do it again. But yeah, it's it's great to hear that you're not <laughs> doing anything crazy I, this season. Like, I do think it was it was an interesting idea last yeah. season, specifically based on the parts of last season that were unique, right? Mm -hmm. Namely, the extra wild card in the winter break uh, and the pricing to an extent. So it was interesting last season, but even last season, despite there being variables in its favor. When everyone ended up bench boosting, I don't remember when it was, 27 or whatever, I had the same bench as everyone else, mm -hmm. like one player. So the whole logic of getting out of the way so that I could like run the leaner bench later was just completely pointless. Um, so that kind of cemented to me like in that season where there were a lot of variables in its favor, it still ended up being pointless because I had the same bench as everyone else anyways, just no bench boost to use on it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I mean, unless some new like variables come in to change how a season's structured again um i'm not really interested in, in bench boosting yeah okay. that makes sense and one side question so you have mentioned you know starting the season you know strongly so in your decision making does effective ownership play a role at all like do you check how much a player is owned because you also mentioned that you you know use the hate the templates and you know being boxed in but do you check so suppose two players are very close in expected value and you don't have a personal feeling about either one of them like do you use you know how much they are owned as a tiebreaker or not yeah if it's if it's so if it's early season i have no like rank deficit i'm trying to solve overall or in a mini league then i'm gonna then i'm agnostic on risk mm -hmm. right so I, I have no reason to pile risk on. I have no reason to mitigate it necessarily. Mm -hmm. So in that scenario, early season, like game week one, if two players are extremely close, like on the data that I trust, and I don't have a hunch or an inside view of any kind, to your point, then yeah, I will use um, higher ownership as a tiebreaker. Um, I think it's a really interesting conversation. I remember, I don't really listen to many podcasts anymore, but I used to... Um, enjoy the episodes that Simon and We Rogue put out, um, like starting years ago, I guess they used to do it. And they had this one with um, Abdul, FPL Sala, that really stuck in my mind. I, this has been like two or three years ago now, mm -hmm. where um, Simon and We Rogue, I think up to that point, and Simon's come back to this view now, had basically, you know, believed that ownership should have precisely zero value in your consideration unless you want to pile on risk or mm -hmm. mitigate it for whatever reason. Um, and then they talked to Abdul and Abdul at least temporarily, I think, convinced them and me and a lot of viewers that actually you should weight EO as a data point independent of the risk factor. Mm. And his argument basically was that um, wisdom of the crowds, yeah. right? Like high EO means that there's an aggregated opinion of a bunch of people and depending on your worldview or your mental model of FPL specifically, you should assign some informational value to that aggregated opinion, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I bought that logic. Like, it made sense to me. Um, I think Simon has since steered away from that. And maybe it's just not change. But last time I saw him tweet about it, he was saying that um, he's gone back to basically believing that you need to grab every edge you can. And the crowd is frequently uh, wrong in correlated ways. So you should be like very happy to 
uh, go against high EO and not consider it as like a mm-hmm. data point. I'm now in like, I, I, I get both sides. And I think my like solution to your point is that exception you outlined about having your own strong opinion or some kind of inside view or edge, right? Mm-hmm. So if I have like a good theory as to why the EO is mistakenly high, then to follow Simon's approach, I'm happy to farm some edge there, right? Because, I mean, edge is vanishing. Like, you got to take it where you can get it, right? But if I don't have any special reason or theory or whatever, and you got to be careful because it's easy to tell yourself a story, right, about, like, people eating pasta or whatever Andy Martin (laughs) talked about. You got to be careful with it. But if you're being honest with yourself and you don't have that inside edge or whatever, then I do think I would assign like some informational value enough to break like a, a virtual tie. So that's, mm. that's my position right now. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot. And let's talk about the new season then. Um, so you have mentioned that you will be using the, obviously the expected value again. And we have just talked about the effect of ownership, like as a tiebreaker. But other than these two, like, do you have a strategy in mind that you are hoping to change from last season to this season? Um, all I'm thinking about really heading in from a, from a drafting perspective is structure and mm-hmm. flexibility. I'm not super concerned right now about specific assets. Mm-hmm. Um, I already have a fairly developed hierarchy in my mind. Mm-hmm. When review comes out, I'll see if like there's any contradictions there and then I'll investigate them. But like right now, like I don't think like Saka versus Martinelli is an interesting debate right now or whatever, yeah. right? I think there are a couple interesting debates about assets, but broadly speaking, my mental hierarchy is like already fairly developed. So what I'm more interested in is like the structure than the assets, right? And then the structure will determine the assets. Um, and I'm happy to sacrifice um, some EV if I think I'm setting up a more flexible structure. Um, something I mentioned earlier was like time frame. So on your last podcast with Johnny, I think he mentioned that he's going to be looking at the first like seven-ish weeks of the mm-hmm. season when he's optimizing. Um I agree with that. Like, I, I'm going to be looking at the first, like, five to eight, I would say, roughly. Um, I really don't want to be forced into an early wild card. I would love to hold it until 18 or 19 if I can. I would love to avoid any hits if I can. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm thinking long-term structure, what's going to allow me to um, access the best assets during the swings, right? And it's like, you look at the swings, and for me, Chelsea and Liverpool like start becoming really interesting around like three and four roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, Liverpool also have that game week two game, which is quite good. Um, and then Brighton get pretty bad after game week three. Um, and I see a lot of people like who, to my mind, they're basically just looking at the first three fixtures from what I can tell the first two or three. Yeah. Right. And like they have the triple Brighton, um, like triple United is like locked. And I look at these teams and I'm like, it gets pretty bad after three. I probably don't want six guys from these teams. I'd rather be flexible and not forced into like an early wild card. 
So I'm thinking long-term, I'm thinking structurally, but like all that being said, you know, review might have Matoma and Estupanon at like, you know, in 95% of solves over the mm -hmm. first seven weeks, like basic solver or whatever, in which case I'm not going to fight it either. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think long-term, think structurally. Um, I haven't tinkered that much. Like I made a draft at the beginning of this month. I haven't changed it that much. And I'm just going to wait till review comes out. Um, actually, I'm going on vacation next week. So I'm only going to have like <laughs> three or four days with review okay. for the first game, which I'm happy about. Because it, yeah. it's going to limit the be like, I got to keep it basic, simple. So it should be fun. That, that makes sense. Okay, I will ask you about your draft. But before that, um, when you talk about the structure, um, suppose you have two teams that I gave you to compare. So when you say that you will be looking at the structure, do you mean that you will prefer, like out of these two teams, you will prefer the team with, you know, more alternative if, more more alternatives to replace if one of the players gets injured that kind of a collective okay yeah yeah that's one of them so the the things that i group under structure when i'm thinking about it is number one um depth um and just like how much you're allocating on the tail who your three bench players are right um a lot of drafts right now have very light benches and i think that's a serious mistake mm -hmm. especially when you have you know Chelsea assets with like dicey X-Men city assets, mm -hmm. right? Um, number two is like formation, which relates to the depth, right? Because if you go three up top, it automatically gives you better depth because your 4.5 mid might get minutes, whereas your 4.5 forward won't, right? Yeah. Um, so the formation and therefore like which assets you can move on and off more easily and how it relates to depth. And the last piece is... Um, like spots per team, right? So like structurally, mm. it matters if you're starting with three Chelsea um, and you don't have like Nkunku or you don't have Sterling or you don't have James or whatever, because now structurally you're constrained on what you can move. So I think it's those three things, right? Because that's what shapes like four weeks from now or five weeks from now, like how will your options be constrained? That's mm -hmm. how I think about structure. So then to build this kind of a, structure or team suppose you are using review you click optimize it gave you a team where you be i should say like banning players that you see you think that that are risky i mean obviously solvers usually prefer a heavier bench uh, than you know most other people do um so do you kind of like ban players based on you know like if they're not very uh, flexible in terms of replacing or if they are injury prone or maybe like a minute uh, issue or maybe it's because of the spots per team do you ban the players or do you just uh, keep them but try to convince solver to drop them by maybe like reducing their expected minutes or something yeah so the broad approach i take is um firstly i don't get super sophisticated on solves and this is why i say i'm an intermediate and i'm not necessarily planning to go beyond that i don't have my own script that i run mm -hmm. given certain inputs even though I think that is the uh, most effective strategy if you care about maximizing your rank. Um, but I don't have my own script that I run. Even the review solver, I don't mess with the advanced settings that much. Um, it really will just toggle like FT value, decay sometimes. Mm -hmm. And obviously like, the, the basic settings like number of weeks out. Um, so I, I really, I use the review basic solver like very basically. And what I do is I tinker with it a bit to figure out um, what is the 
what is the most EV you're squeezing out with like reasonable teams without tinkering too much with the parameters or the X-Mins? I look at the value over the time frame that I care about, right? Mm-hmm. Like for me, like I said, it'll probably be like the first like six or seven or eight weeks, right? And I say, okay, that's my target now, EV wise, right? Whatever the number is, like if it's over seven weeks, it'll probably be in the region of what, like uh, 350 or 400 mm-hmm. or something, right? So that's my target. And then I draft, like I'll just draft players in that I like. I'm like, I like this guy. Let's put him in. Let's mess with the X-Men's a bit. And I'll just see, am I coming close without messing with the settings too much, right? And if I'm coming really close and I really like the structure and it's got guys that I like, like I like putting in Everton guys. I do the opposite of banning them, which is the best thing to do. <laughs> I'm an Everton fan, so I want to have their players. So I'll, I like putting them in. I'm probably going to have Pickford. Like I don't really care if he's a, like a couple EV off over the first seven. I'm probably going to have him. So I'll put in guys I like. I'll tweak the mins and stuff. I'll get a structure I like. And if it's close enough, to what I consider the benchmark, then I'm happy. Then I'll just log off, make my team, and call it a day. So that's kind of how I use it. I use the optimal team as like my North Star, and I'm like, okay, I don't want to give up like too much EV against this. Um, and then I just want to, and I just do what I want within that constraint. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And who do you have in your draft then? Besides Pickford, um, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can read it out. I'll, okay, I'll read it out. Let me find. So what I have right now, um, which, again, like, I haven't put in a ton of thought, but very, very roughly speaking, um, starting from the back, uh, Pickford, and then in the defense, I've got uh, Gabriel, Estupinian, Trent, I mean, nothing interesting there, uh, James, although that's more of like a 5.5 placeholder, it could be mm-hmm. Chilwell, be Diash, like whoever. Um, Henry and Riedewald. Henry again, like 4.5. Mm-hmm. I don't think it matters that much, but like they have good fixtures. Um, and then in midfield, I've got uh, Saka, Bumo, Rashford and Sterling. And then up top, I got Jesus, uh, DCL, and Holland. Yeah. Now, DCL is almost certainly not going to end up in there. Um, I would love to have him just from Everton bias. And when everyone was going crazy on Twitter for like a week hyping him, I even then I was like, I would love to have him, but I don't think he's going to be like <laughs> DCL and like the most terrible. And and now I think everyone's kind of realized, yeah, he's definitely not coming out optimal. So he'll probably be like Jackson or Nkunku. And then I'll take money out of somewhere. Sterling will be Matoma or something, probably. Mm. I have 0.5 of this draft. I honestly don't know. Um, but anyways, like I said, like the specific guys, it's like, you know, I'll wait for a review. But like structurally, what I think are the big structural decisions here are like, number one, I have Trent, right? Yeah. Number two... I've got three up top. Mm-hmm. Number three, I've got decent depth, like nothing crazy. I'm not rotating keepers. I have I have like Jal Virginia um, mm-hmm. as the keeper, uh, but like decent depth, right? Like I'm benching James and Henry week one in theory with this team. Um, if I got Nkunku and Matomo, it would be the same story. Um, so 
I'm not certain on any of those structural decisions yet. I like the front three. I've, I've every draft I've had has been has been three up top. Um, it seemed pretty popular on Twitter recently, um, just because it gives you that four point five like playing guy in midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, Trent, depth, and three up top is what I'm right now favoring. Um, we'll see. Yeah, and. Yeah, I forgot to ask a question on this, uh, like building the draft. Uh, for example, for this team or any other draft, they will come up with until the game week one. Do you schedule any transfers? Because like things like having Salah for the first two game week and then replacing him with De Bruyne or someone else is an idea. So do you go for these kind of stuff or are you trying to you know, stay away from it because there's a possibility of taking a hit because of it? Yeah, I'm gonna try to avoid booking transfers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it might it might turn out when review comes out that Salah captain game week two is so important that you know if you're optimizing for you know even like five weeks, like not even two weeks, but even five weeks, it's like he's got to be in there. If that's the case, then fine. It is what it is. Like I don't mind having him to captain home Bournemouth. If I have to take a minus four in game week three with the rest of Twitter, like. So be it. But, you know, ideally, I would like to avoid an early hit. I like to avoid booking transfers. That's why I kind of like Trent over Salah, right? Because Trent, you just hold, right? I think, barring a fitness issue, if you like him and if he's decent on review, you just hold him for seven or eight weeks. I think the first, I think his first seven or eight fixtures are perfectly fine. I think people are really over-indexing on the first three. I think he can get a lot of cleans, a lot of points. Um and you don't have to sell him immediately. It's really him in a straight shot against like the other eight to nine million attackers. There's some implications for like depth, obviously, from that swap. But from a first principles approach, like the first point of analysis is like I'm comparing Trent against like Jesus, Rashford, Saka, Bruno, Martinelli, Odegaard, Son, right? Yeah. And I look at that list, and he's like he's top three for me pretty easily right now um you know at worst maybe fourth or fifth but you can have four or five of those guys right along with a good team because the way the pricing is so i've been pretty bullish on trent like we'll see what review says i think the only way not the only way the the most likely scenario where i don't have trent is where i have salah because i don't think trent and salah is super feasible um but if salah is not popping up super high um, I'm probably going to take Trent over like at least a couple of these eight to nine million other guys. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. And so one question we have received related to this uh, talk uh, from FPL Double Foggy asked: How much EV do you allow you know yourself to ignore on review when making decisions? So in this context, for example, when you said you know you might have Salah if the EV is you know quite significant so what's that threshold for you i mean sometimes it's, i understand that it's hard to give a number but do you have any anything that you use yeah so on a on a multi-week time frame right if i'm trying to make a decision mm-hmm. as it pertains to the next like five or six weeks or so um if i've Establish an EV benchmark. Let's say it's because Salah's the best over five weeks. And okay, with Salah, you get a certain EV typically. Um, over five or six weeks, I wouldn't want to give up more than like 
two or three expected points on yeah. view around that range. Um, it depends again on like, if I believe I have a, a strong view or some kind of edge against the crowd or the model for whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, that's basically going to boil down to minutes. Most of the time, like I think minutes is really the only area now where you can like reliably beat review when it comes to like straight up this player versus that player type decisions. Um, but yeah, barring anything like that, I don't want to give up more than like two or three because you, if you multiply it out over a season, right, we have like 38 weeks. If you're giving up more than like, let's say half an EV per week, right, which is what two or three over five or six weeks comes out to, mm-hmm. giving up like 15 to 20 versus the field, the field being like people who stick closer to review, right, and or are like skilled enough that they end up being close to that. And it's like 15 to 20 points is kind of a lot over a season to, to give up. So I really don't like to like give up more than that over those kinds of timeframes, but I'll do it if I have to. Um, and then on a one week straight shot, like captaincy, for example, mm-hmm. is the big one. Um, one week, I wouldn't want to give up more than like 0. 0.3, Point which is <laughs> just similar to that one, right? So like yeah. if one captain is like, you know, whatever, 5.7, and the other is 5.2, it's going to take a lot for me to go with a 5.2 guy. Um, And the main reason I do it is if I'm piling on risk for some reason, like it's late and I'm not happy with my rank, or if I think I have an inside view, like a really strong inside view for some reason, or um, like if the other really good metrics support it. So like, I think I like to, I like to tickle, like, I like to tick, sorry. I like to tick the max odds slider and mm-hmm. compare cap on that versus like minimum odds. And if the odds guy is like close or better, um, then I'm like, okay, there's like some argument here. But yeah, I don't like to give up, you know, too much. Okay, awesome. All right, we're getting closer to the end, so I will ask you some lighter questions. The first one is this. Why are you not on the analytics Discord? People are wondering if you are addicted to X or Twitter. X being uh, the website formerly known as Twitter. Um, <laughs> formerly known as Twitter. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I was definitely addicted to Twitter. I don't know if I'm going to be addicted to X because its leader seems intent on uh, degrading the product experience. So maybe <laughs> he'll save me from my addiction. And X is where I step off the train. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I definitely use Twitter like a lot <laughs> more than I would want to I, in an ideal world. Um, Discord, I was on Discord, not for FPL, but I've been on Discord before. I found the UI like very overwhelming at a certain point where it's like the different groups and like the stream of like, it's just like a lot of like big group chats, essentially, which I'm in some group chats that I really like, like based on formerly twitter.com, right? Um, <laughs> but they're like not that big and people aren't spamming them all the time. Like, But who knows? Maybe I'll reopen Discord. People have mentioned the Discord analytics group to me a bunch of times. It seems like it's a great spot and that's definitely where like the edge is, right? So I'm definitely giving up edge. So maybe I should download it and like stop being on Twitter so much. <laughs> you should. Actually, I was going to ask you about Twitter in general. So... I mean, some of your tweets are really funny. Some of them are, you know, sarcastic. Some of them are really sharp. I mean, we love it, like, in general. I mean, when you visit the Discord, Analytics Discord, you will see that 
lots of tweets from you that we have shared and laughed. <laughs> so, but how is social media affecting your experience in general regarding FPL? Uh, you have mentioned that when you are having a bad game week, you just you know log off from Twitter. So I understand that you know when you are having a bad game week, it's you know obviously it's a negative experience. I I usually make the mistake of staying and then getting even you know <laughs> angrier. But in general, yeah. do you think it's a net positive or net negative for you? Um, it's a difficult question. It kind of feeds into like why. Do I play FPL in general? Why does anybody play FPL? <laughs> What's like, the meaning of life? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I start thinking about, like, why I play FPL, the only conclusion I can come to is that, like, I should stop. And I, really, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I really admire the people who've, like, retired. So, like, We Rode retired. Um, Chase Lucy, did. Yeah, Chase, Lucy. So I look at them and I'm, like, I envy them. It's like they've achieved... Because it's like, I mean, it's just, it's not set up. It's not a, it's not an activity or a game, however you want to view it, that's set up to reward the kind of effort that the super nerds like myself and obviously yourself want to put into it. Yeah. Like there's all these areas of life where if you put in extraordinary effort, you get truly extraordinary rewards of many different kinds, right? Like just intrinsic reward. Like, for example, I mean, I have a few other hobbies. I love working out, right? Working out is great because it's like linear progress. I mean, that's yeah. not 100% true, but like essentially if you have the knowledge, you put in the effort, you get results, it's consistent, right? And, you know, the problem with FPL is it's like, the the diminishing returns to effort and taking it seriously kick in like pretty early once you like like if you're playing somewhat patiently you're using somewhat decent data right you're not letting yourself get tilted um it's hard to squeeze out a bunch more edge from that and yeah. reliably finish 10k instead of just like winning your mini league and finishing 40k or whatever so i think my my like near term resolution is a uh spend less time like on fpl in avenues that are unproductive like tinkering a lot um like earnestly getting into like long debates on twitter or whatever and just try and like use the time more wisely and be more realistic about outcomes which last season already kicked my ass so i'm pretty realistic now <laughs> and then secondly like social media wise um I mean, I like, basically the part of Twitter that I like is like just shitposting. Oh, sorry. That was, okay. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like just like, you know, chatting nonsense, human <laughs> consciousness, memes, whatever. Um, you know, there's a bunch of hilarious people on there. And FPL as an avenue to just sort of like have fun on Twitter is, I think, like the best uh, possible use for it. So um, uh, my, my, I think my resolution is to like, not necessarily tweet less, but to tweet uh, less seriously, for sure. Um, and just use it as like a place to have a laugh because it's just not worth, um, it's not worth like trying to put your heart and soul into finishing like 10K or whatever, because it's just, you're not going to get it reliably. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I think it's a good point to promote Analytics Discord one more time here because... 
obviously, as you have mentioned, FPL is not a logical activity or, you know, hobby for anyone in general. Uh, like, there's lots of, you know, heartbreaks in it. <laughs> like, you put the hours, but you don't usually get the outcome you want or hope or maybe deserve, I should say. But, yeah, we are kind of trying to motivate people to learn more about analytics so that they can maybe use it in other parts of their lives. Um, but, yeah, in general, I think, uh, yeah. So, I I thought about retiring from FPL very seriously over this summer. But, yeah, probably I will, I will be playing this season, but maybe next season I will reevaluate my decision after, if I have a terrible season. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ideally, you can just do a middle ground, right? But like, the problem is, I mean, we're on like a FBL podcast right now. Like, it's obviously difficult for us to take middle ground approach to this. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. Okay, that concludes our fascinating conversation with Formadillo. He's an analytics legend already, whose brilliant analytical season is shadowed by the unlucky outcomes and you know extremely negative variants. I hope it was an eye-opening experience for our listeners in terms of what can go wrong and how random FBI can be at times. But despite all the negative variants, you know, how people are still willing to try uh, analytics and try analytics uh, in their you know, upcoming season again. Uh, for Middle while your season may not have been uh, what, you had, what you had hoped for, uh, your journey has undoubtedly left a lasting impact on the FBI analytics community. We talked about your season quite a bit. And thanks for bringing your unique perspective and also reminding us that there is, you know, um, value uh, in analytics and decision-making with expected value despite the outcome. It was a true pleasure to have you on this show and thank you so much for joining us. We wish you the best of luck this season and I'm hoping to have you as a guest maybe next, you know, summer. This time, talking about how your luck regressed to the mean and then how, you know, lucky you got and then got a really good finish. And is there anything else you want to add before we close the episode? Uh, no, I mean, it, it, it was a pleasure. It was, it was fun to talk about all this stuff. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'm in a place to, to have that conversation in a year. So <laughs> yeah, let's hope. And uh, to our listeners and viewers, thank you a lot for tuning in. Before game week one, we will record an episode or maybe two with Buzz. And you will see how the new format uh, is uh, we have in mind for you. Episodes will be much shorter than usual and they will be more to the point. And we will try to keep sh sharing uh, video versions on YouTube. So in case you prefer seeing the data and visualizations and the tables, we might be uh, talking in the podcast. And with this, until next time, stay curious and stay analytical. Goodbye.